When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Smack him a gun! Than Doctor Fuck Ralph R- R- Ralph Vieira. See now I yes. got myself all fucked up. I tongue tied myself on your old podcast name. Now I can't say your last name. Ralph Vieira, of course, formerly of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Bam! I got it. Yeah. How do you describe yourself? Are you retired uh, podcaster or? What's no, the- I still, I still, I, I still have my podcast. I've had this podcast for a while called the Vieira Vault, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I, I've, I haven't been really uh, active on it. But now I am like every single week I have a, a new episode and I would like to have you on a future one. Yeah, absolutely. That's how that's a YouTube only one or it's on Apple Music and uh, YouTube as well. All right. Well, I'll definitely I'll, I'll check it out on my podcast apps and I've watched some of the YouTube videos in the past, obviously. Uh, some really funny stuff there. But yeah, of course, anytime you had you need somebody, I'd be more than happy to come on. Thanks, man. And thank you for having me on. You know, I listen to you a lot. Really? That's too bad. That, right. that Jakey Lee interview was fucking choice. That one uh, kind of, <laughs> I get a lot, that one I get probably the most feedback on. Because um, he was so honest. Yeah, he was great. Uh, it really didn't have to do too much. Uh, right. <laughs> you know. Well, Dr. Fuck, we got into it. You're not retired. What else are you up to, though? You did you, you told me that you're retired from work full time. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I no longer work for the city of Miami Beach, and now I'm collecting pension checks. Starting March first, this first uh, this month right, that just passed, I got my first check, and today I got my second pension check, and oh boy, is it glorious! Um, and boy, what a great time to leave, huh? Because if not, I'd be forced to go to work now. No, no doubt. Um, yeah, you know, it, as we're recording this, we're all you yeah. know in a hibernation now. You know? Exactly. The, we're, we're recording this right at the beginning, April first, actually. Happy April Fool's Day to you. Um, um, I guess I, maybe I should be thankful that you didn't agree to come on as a prank and then like leave me hanging here with like a doll in front of the, the screen or something. 
Uh, I just found out today I'm pregnant. Okay. All right. Well, uh, who's the father? Uh, me. I was really hoping you were <laughs> yeah, going to say uh, I... Ian. <laughs> no, no. All That'd right. be a mess. That'd be a, uh, the kid would be like uh, very confused. All right. Because it'd be se- a separated family already. Before, when it comes out of the womb, my ass, it's already not going to be uh, in a happy household. No house. How many episodes of Rock and Metal Combat did you record? I have no idea. It's in the 200s, uh, correct? Yeah, I think so. I, and, I believe so. And will those be around for people who still want to go back and listen and those aren't going anywhere? No, it's up to Ian. He's the one that owns it. Okay. You know, it's, uh, he's the one that uh, uh, pretty much uh, paid for it and I edited it. I edited the shows and, uh, and he's the one that runs the actual uh, Podbean page. Oh, there goes my microphone. Let's get into today's discussion. Um, now, I, I've only had one episode actually go out, uh, so I'll kind of catch you up a little bit. What the Rolling Stone did a list of top fifty grunge albums of all time. I'm going to count down from twenty five to one. Uh, I just didn't want to basically just a commitment issue. There was a lot more records I didn't want to talk about in the next in the back twenty five. So I was comfortable committing to twenty five. And you were coming in at episode number twenty three. I've actually got twenty four recorded. Um, today's record is uh, the Soundgarden album Ultra Mega. Okay, uh, let me start with uh, where do you come in as as far as a Soundgarden fan? Are you you pretty big time or? Uh, yeah, actually, kind of early. Uh, I saw Soundgarden, Soundgarden open for uh, Voivod. In '89, I believe, uh, I believe it was the louder, louder than love album, um, and I absolutely like loved them. Uh, when I first saw them, I went out and bought that album. Though this one, uh, I did get much later, even after Bad Motor Finger. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, this is one I did not acquire till because uh, you couldn't find sub pop records down here uh, at, at record stores till the. The grunge explosion happened. No, there's a little confusion there because Sub Pop handled the reissue, but this was released on SST, and I'm. But they okay, did do something with Sub Pop too, though. Was it the the Screaming Life FOP EP? And I have that as well. Yes, I, I you know I wasn't aware that this wasn't Sub Pop Ultra Mega Okay. I always thought it was under the Sub Pop. Well, it is now, which is that's the weird thing. When I was getting ready to do all this, um, I kind of dug into it a little bit. Uh, I got into Soundgarden with Bad Motorfinger, and even that a little late for some reason. Um, and you know, a little little details like this come out every episode with with my history with this this uh, whole movement. But uh, I just didn't grasp um, outshined as much as I. Th- in hindsight, I'm like, what the fuck was wrong with me? This is that song was like a perfect anecdote for everything that that, that I wanted in music. You know what I mean? And once once it did click with me though, once I you know opened the the gates, then Soundgarden became one of my go to bands of of that whole movement. Um, but I, like you, I didn't get this album Ultra Mega Okay until I had already had, I think probably maybe just before Super Unknown came out or, or right around that time. Pretty much for the same issues, it wasn't the easiest thing to find, but uh, I, I definitely passed it up a couple times before I finally got it. But. Yeah, I got it. You know, like like what you said. When I got it, it's on Sub Pop, so I got the reissue. We'll get into that because I'm I'm gonna actually talk about the one I'm gonna play today. I think Sub Pop somehow came in and grabbed it during the '90s. Right. I know I got it after Bad Motor Finger and before Super Unknown. So I don't know. This this is not gonna help the listeners too much. This is the CD I bought. 
And, that's and the one I got. That still says SST, and then this is the the vinyl. But this is a vinyl reissue, but like early '90s vinyl. They just did a uh, like an expanded edition in 2017. I, I got it right here, I guess. Um, yeah, 2017. That uh, Jack Andino is that his name? Yeah, it's Jack Andino. He he record he recorded the demos for this album. They used a different producer, a guy named uh, Drew Canulet. The story goes is that the band didn't really feel Drew got them properly, that they kind of regretted the decision to kind of go outside their comfort zone and use somebody the record label mentioned. So when they got the the album back, they were unhappy with the mix. So uh, Jack and Dino was actually in the process of remixing the record. But I don't know if it was a label decision um, or the band, but I'm sure money it was the, the biggest factor where it was like, nope, we're just going to go with the, what we got and we're going to release it. So in 2017, they got Jack to actually go back and take the the raw tracks and remix the entire album again. And they released that as kind of a a deluxe edition that came out, you know, like I said, in 2017. And that's the music I'm going to feature today is coming off that mix. It is. It really just makes the songs pop a lot more. It is definitely the the right move to have them come go back and do that. I encourage anybody who likes this record to go out and check that that out a little bit. You can find it on all your streaming services, and of course, you can go to like Amazon, buy the album, or all the good stuff. Well, I got to hear this because I've never heard that version. All I have is the version on CD that I bought back in. 90 something 93 94 maybe sure yeah you can you can find the the, the reissue online at uh like youtube music if you're i i assume it's on spotify i'm not a spotify user but um as far as ways to check things out i'm actually gonna be buying the physical copy of it here you know shortly probably once everything settles down in the country but it's on my list now of things i gotta get because uh i don't know did you ever hear the pearl jam 10 remix that uh brendan o'brien did no, uh, and I own that one as well, but I own the original one. Uh, and I love the original record, and and, and uh, but it is amazing how much better it sounds. And it, uh, it the songs don't sound like different songs, but everything is clearer and cleaner, and you hear certain things that you didn't hear on the original uh, uh, mix. So um, if you can't find that, I, I'll be la- glad to send it to you. Luz gave that to me five years ago, and it, it blew my mind, and I was like, wow. I, usually these yeah, re- I would love rem- to hear it. Yeah, the re- remasters are usually a waste, but this is a full remix on both this Ultra Mega OK and uh, the uh, Pearl Jam 10 that I'm talking about. I unplugged my headphones there. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I did. <laughs> All right, let's get a couple of the details out of the way, then we'll get into the album here. It was released on Halloween 1988, released on SST Records. There's some confusion there, so I'm just going to go with SST and Sub Pop. Uh, produced by Drew Canulet and Soundgarden. And it was preceded by the EP FOP and followed up by Louder Than Love, which was their first major label record, which is later on down the list. Well, Soundgarden, I, I did follow. Uh, I, I did follow to the breakup. Then I, I never really looked into anything after they reunited. Um, I did see them several times. And I saw them, you know, when I said, like, with Voivod, I saw them with Guns N' Roses at the Joe Robbie Stadium on New Year's Eve of 91, I believe. And I saw them on the Super Unknown tour, headline the Sunrise Musical Theater, and it was terrible. And not that the band was terrible, the sound mix. I couldn't make out what song they were playing. It was a really, they had a really bad sound man that night. It was just, and it wasn't just me. Everybody was like, what the hell's going on, man? And I don't think I've ever, oh yeah, I saw them one more time on Lollapalooza when they had the Ramones and Metallica. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were good there. That, that, that day they were good. But, yeah, I've seen them like four or five times. 
in the 89 show was hero the bass player the hero yamamoto i don't know yes he was still in the band yeah he was still in the band it was uh that lineup which is uh the same lineup as a lot of the love correct it is, yeah. I think mm-hmm. a lot of, yeah, Lauder Than Love was the last record he did, and you said that might have been the Lauder Than Love tour that you saw. It, it was, it was, because I remember buying the CD soon after I saw that show. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, well, let's get into the record. Uh, the, the, the the album opens with Flower. You know that that uh, the intro of it supposedly, according to Kim Thale, those like kind of clean, kind of light string strumming notes are just him blowing on the guitar strings. So he must have been blowing oh, pretty really? hard. Yeah. Well, it kind of sounds a little like uh, oh, what is it? Bagpipe. I was of. thinking wind chimes, but uh, yeah, I can hear yeah. the bagpipe thing too. Um, they have a video for this song. Yeah, the only video for off this record, if I my research is correct. I, mean, I love this song. I think it's a it's kind of like a trippy tune. Um, I love the intro. I love how it, you know, a little flow to it, and uh, and of course, Chris. Chris sounds amazing on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, one. Of, I, I love his voice. He's he had such an amazing voice. It uh, one thing uh, with with Chris is that like he was such a powerful and attractive kind of looking guy, and he had this out of this world voice. It and, and as he developed more, it almost seemed like Soundgarden really wasn't going to be something he would keep going for. Like he would just that, that there was bigger, like you know, worldly kind of Elton John level kind of shit coming for him. Um, but uh, to his credit, he kind of stuck to the rock stuff for the most part. Yeah, I didn't really follow his solo stuff, though. I have seen some really impressive clips of him online doing some covers. Uh, I think Billy Jean was one of them. It was really yeah. good. His cover of uh, Prince. Um, Oh, well, it's actually the Shane uh, O'Connor uh, song. Nothing Compares to yeah. You is just amazing. It's been seven hours and 15 days Since you took your love away I 
Sinead O'Connor's version. It's my favorite version. I like it better than Prince's version. Excuse but, uh, me. Uh, and that's not a shot. Um, this is this song is supposedly about a hard partying woman. Kind of like she she gets into adulthood, she parties a little too hard, and dies uh, tragically young. Uh, and considering this is 1988, these are not exactly song topics that are really being <laughs> thrown out there. Um, not exactly pour some sugar on me if you if you follow my drift. Exactly, and it's and it's a, a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was always looking for back then. You know, I mean, I wasn't really looking for the alternative stuff, but I, I did want to find something different that was meaty. You know, it had some kind of, and this was like so, so, so up my alley, you know, um, you know, because I was really into thrash at the time. And but I loved, you know, Voivod is a very eclectic band and to see them open and they were kind of eclectic in their own little way uh, with what was popular at the time. It was very appealing to me. I've never listened to Voivod. Yeah, Voivod's out there. Voivod is uh, <laughs> that 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 might take a few listens uh, to get it. <laughs> I did see him play this song at uh, at Northern Invasion in two thousand uh, shoot uh, seventeen. Um, this whatever it was a few days before Chris died. So I saw I don't remember how many shows he did after this, but um, there weren't many. Not that that really matters too much, but. I was, you know, kind of surprised that this was in the set list. You know, it's a little deeper track, and and doing like a um, a festival show, you typically get more of a hits thing, and they they kind of stayed away from that, much to the dismay of the crowd, because the they weren't received very well, but they sounded great. I remember they played this uh, on the the that GNR show when they opened the GNR show. Okay, yeah, this was on the set list. That would have been, that was the use your illusion to it, right? Yes, okay. yes. Um, they came through here. I, I didn't catch it. I wasn't in, in the Soundgarden at the time either. But uh, oh, neither was that, neither was the crowd because yeah. uh, <laughs> Bad Motor Finger hasn't taken off yet. Yeah, and people were just like, "Oh, where's Axel?" You know, they they just weren't into it. I loved it because I was aware of it. You know, all my towny friends that went to that show all hated them that night, and within a year they were all Soundgarden fans. So, kind of just shows you how fickle people can be. And, hey, you know what? So, Guns N' Roses was very much like that, too. I remember, like, for about a year, I couldn't get anybody to listen to the fucking thing, and suddenly they're trying to turn me onto a rec- that record, you know? So Yeah, it took me, it took a year for that album to explode. And another another good example is Alice in Chains. I saw Alice in Chains mm. pretty much get pelted at the Thrash of the Titans show. I went to that. Which, which location did you go to? Miami Beach. I mean, Miami Arena. Yeah, I saw him up here in the Twin Cities. So uh, we basically have been, <laughs> apparently we've both been living in the same area for a while, huh? Um, yeah, that was they. Uh, they didn't get uh, beat up too bad here, but the crowd definitely was waiting for you know Anthrax, Slayer, or Megadeth. I believe Slayer was on first that day. Well, they got booed down here, okay. and then the next year, all those people booing were loving them. 
Well, we're known to be nice here up in Minnesota, don't you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we just ignored them. <laughs> Oddly enough, that night Anthrax got booed, believe it or not. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, did your show, like, start and end really er- oddly early? Like, our it, it started, like, 1 in the afternoon and ended at 7 o'clock at night. Something like that here. All four bands. Oh, no. It was a regular show. Started, like, at 7, ended at okay. 11. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, there was no, I saw none of the bands with in the dark. It was all during the day. Kind of weird. Uh, it was at this weird place called Trout Air. It, like when it wasn't hosting concerts, um, you could actually go out there and rent a boat and it, and it had a stocked trout fishing pond. Um, so it was just this weird thing that they would do a handful of concerts there, but I don't know. Was it was it a, a nice, like an arena sized place? Oh, yeah, it could have held a ton. I mean, it was. It, it had it probably could have fit you know thirty forty thousand people, but for this show, yeah, obviously there weren't that many there. But you, so there's plenty of room to walk around and crap. But uh, um, yeah, it was my first experience for a Slayer mosh pit. That show, that was uh, uh, I was a little bitch. Uh, I could uh, I thought I was standing <laughs> on the edge of it, and they switched from like one song to I think War Ensemble, and suddenly I was on the from the edge to being in it, and I got I just panicked and ran. You must have been really young at that time. I would have been, uh, shit, 19 or 20. Yeah, 91. 20. I would have been 20. 20, yep. Okay. Freshman year in college, or maybe that was my second year. I, I took a year off, but uh, back to Flower, I gave it, uh, I'm using Doc Martens, whatever. Just call it a four, out of four out of five stars. I gave it four. I give it four and a half. Almost right. perfect. Um, the next song is probably my favorite one on the record, All Your Lies. <laughs> ripping song it's fast paced with an infectious vocal melody um absolutely love the song this is a song that they did play live on the super unknown tour oddly enough it was one of the songs i can make out you know i was like hey man that's all your lies uh and uh i love it i think it's a great fast paced song i could be wrong but i believe it's on the home video uh there's a home video uh, is it called bad motor live or something like that okay i've never seen it yeah, I have it on VHS, and I believe it's on there. I could be wrong. But, yeah, I love this song. It's uh, one of the more faster songs on here, and uh, definitely my speed. I love it. Yeah, it's a great example, too, of kind of where the band was heading. You know, a lot of the stuff on this record still kind of has some of that punk, you know, melt, you know, effect or sound or whatever, that attitude towards it. But there is, uh, 
definitely kind of a shift to where they were going to be going with those kind of complimentary riffing that Cornell and, and Thale get known for. But I, 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 what really stuck out to me listening on playback was, like, there's a ripping guitar soloing. Thale isn't really known for that kind of a solo, you know what I mean? It's a right. straight-up rock guitar solo in, in two different spots. Uh, also, uh, Sabbath influence, this, this band heavy. The, there's so many little parts, especially that main riff, and that little kind of accentuated thing just reminds me like Volume 4 Master of Reality kind of shit. So. I hear it. I hear the down-tuning and yeah, uh, yeah. a lot of sound gardens like that, actually, oh, yeah. even the later stuff. Absolutely. Well, they ended up covering um, Into the Void. Into the Void. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, big shock. I give this one five stars. All right. I give it, well, same, four and a half. Okay. We're going to take 665 and 667 and just call them one song. Is that okay with you? Yeah. 665 to me sounds like the intro to The Exorcist. You know that scene where, (laughs) you know, where the Pazuzu and shit? Yeah. That weird Arabian noises, whatever. This was kind of done as a lark and kind of a you know cheap shot. And this is a lot of what we're going to get into here for these songs is of what grunge was about, which was kind of like rejecting kind of the norm and kind of pointing out there's a, you know, this record has these two songs and, and the, the closing track are all kind of cheap shots at like how kind of silly, you know, some of the, the bigger bands could be about certain things. This is taking a shot at kind of satanic content and rock music, um, saying like if 666 is such a powerful number, well, 665 and 667 uh, should also both be kind of pretty, you know, dark and heavy too, right? Uh, 665 has a backwards message. I'm just going to dump that into Pro Tools and flip it, and we're going to hear it, uh, what he actually says, because I don't know unless you do. Uh, no, I don't. I didn't even know. So yeah, just to, for anybody listening along who's not familiar with this, track three is called 665. Track five is called 667. Um, and in between, I suppose it's supposed to be 666, but it's beyond the wheel.
I think it's a crushing tune where, you know, I love how Chris uh, starts off with the low voice, gradually building mm-hmm. up as the band builds up uh, as well until you hear that glorious high-pitched vocals <laughs> he does with the, with the band just crushing it and uh, amazing song. This one I would, probably my favorite off here, I'd give this one a five. Yeah, this song... Um... Part of me doesn't really remember how much I like this tune. It's like, oh, what's going on? And then it just, like you said, you, you described it perfectly, that slow climb and then that fucking just killer. Like he, I mean, especially back in this time, that guy could, could fucking wail um, and hit those high notes like, like nobody else. You know, and, and Which is why he really could have done fucking hair metal if he wanted to. He could have taken oh, yeah. a far more easy path and probably been successful. He seems to have had every level of talent they would have needed to do to be successful in that. But so he took a more artistic and, and I don't know, probably authentic to him path. And and this song, it, it's not catchy. It's, you're not going to be humming it, but man, it, it, it gets you fucking going. And it's like, it, it, it sounds like a, like midday at Lollapalooza. You know what I mean? You can almost hear people mulling around in the, it just, it, it seems like the perfect song for that kind of environment. You know, people with their flannels tied around their waist and, you know, <laughs> drinking and I don't know what was the drug of choice back then. I wasn't much of a druggie, but uh, I suppose marijuana. But uh, ecstasy was coming around then. Yeah, ecstasy was already popular at that time. Okay, so I mean, you, you had to Lollapalooza, drop some X, and uh, listen to some Beyond the Wheel. But <laughs> all right, so like we said, six six seven would have been the next track. But after that is oh, Beyond the Wheel gets five stars for me. Is that what you said for you? Yeah, I said five. It's my favorite off here. Okay. Um, after that, we got Mood for Trouble. I, I, I love this track, and um, it kind of tricks you with that kind of like double acoustic kind of strummed up, almost kind of like fast. I don't know what you know how to describe it, like a <laughs> uh, Indigo Girls kind of thing, and then it just <laughs> fucking blows up. off really cool then but for me it kind of gets a little droney uh for me but there is that middle section where the band does this really cool groove thing that i really like i don't dislike this song i i like everything before except for obviously six six those six six songs but um it's not a bad song but i would give this one uh a three out of five yeah i got it ranked at a three too 
Uh, after that, uh, the last song on side one, for those who are listening on vinyl or cassette, is Circle of Power. Now, this is a very different sounding song. If you didn't tell me it was Soundgarden, I wouldn't know. And that's probably because it's sung by the bassist Hiro Yamamoto. I think it's an insane song, punky and sporadic. And yes, I mean, uh, you can clearly tell it's not Chris singing it, um, but it's pretty, uh, it's pretty ferocious. I think it's a, a, a very ferocious song on here. Probably the most, uh, most uh, skull crushing tune on the album. Uh, I dig it. I, I give this one a, a four stars. Hmm. It, it clocks in at two minutes and five seconds, so that's that's very punk as well. But I'm going to go, I don't know, this is probably three stars for me. I do like it. There is that riff right before, I don't know if it's a bridge or a, takes the place of where a guitar solo would be, that kind of like really has that kind of very soundgarden feel to it, and it just blows. But, uh, um, yeah, the it's, it's pretty cool. I wouldn't take it off the record or anything, but not my favorite track. I do have some things that, uh, before we get into side two, that I typically ask for the guests that, that are on the show. If you don't mind saying, and you can ballpark it if you want, I'm not trying to put people in a negative spot, but how old would you have been in 1988? 1988, I was born in 65, so that would be uh, 60, 23. 80, 80, yeah, 23. What were you listening to prior to... Well, what were what were your go to bands in '88? Let's put it that way. '88, I was very much into like um, Merciful Fate, uh, the, the thrash stuff. But uh, you know, but even though I, I wasn't really too much into their newer music, I still was very much a Priest fan. I'm a, like a metal fan. Yeah. And um, you know, and at that, I mean, I was still at that age, you know, where I wasn't really expanding myself too much. Or how I did, like now that I'm older, I love. A lot of weird stuff. But back then I was kind of, I wouldn't use the word closed-minded because I still would listen to, you know, uh, I liked uh, the Cars and Cheap Trick. And, you know, uh, I always had an affinity for those bands I grew up with and Kiss, obviously. But I wasn't really into what they were doing at the moment, but I still would go back to that. But as far as like newer stuff, yes, it was definitely the harder uh, Metallica, Slayer, Hallow's Eve. Uh, stuff like that, and uh, 88, 88, Guns N' Roses, I was really much, very much into Appetite at the time, mm-hmm. like everybody else, and um, that's pretty much what I was into at that time. Were you the doing, uh, stuff. what about being in a band, anything like that? No, you know, the funny thing, I said this a million times, I never wanted to be in a band. Uh, it was never uh, a passion of mine. I've known a lot of friends that were in bands, 
and I saw how much a pain in the ass it was. <laughs> and it wasn't until I turned, I was in my 40s, I started a thrash band that we ended up touring the world. That's Thrash or Die? <laughs> yeah, Thrash so or Die. So you've only been man. in one band, huh? Uh, well, no, I've, I've, I did another band called Combat that we have a, an EP out. And I have a couple other projects that, uh, I have a new, a new one called, uh, it's, uh, oh man, I, I already forgot the name of it. It's a tongue twister. It's called, He's retired, uh, ladies oh, and gentlemen. nutritional yeast infection. And it's a, it's, it's a band I'm doing with a girl. Uh, we do duets and they're very vile and perverted and quadruple X songs. So that's my new thing. But Thrash and I is still very much together. My drummer now is with Ingve Malmsteen. So it's kind of really. Yeah, and also my my bass player is in a very popular death metal band called Malevolent Creation, but ne- they're all back from tour now. So now is the time for us to get together and work on the album. But we can't because yeah. we got the cooties. Um, you know, Malmsteen is he based out of Southern Florida? Yes, he lives here in Miami. Years ago, there was a guitar player in Jesus Chrysler that his brother was in a band. I, fuck, they're called Devil Inside, I think. They uh they were at a rec- they were recording a, a record in uh, somewhere in Miami that the South Florida area I don't know exactly what studio but apparently Ingve Malmsteen was using the studio next to him and there was a st- he said like Malmsteen apparently drank a lot of Heinekens and he would throw them in the garbage can that for that studio and so the producer or the engineer whoever was there he took them all and threw them in front of Malmsteen's door and one day he came into the studio just losing his shit with a couple empty fucking bottles and he was whipping them and uh so that that's my Ingve Malmsteen South Florida story but the fact that you mentioned I was like maybe he lives down there yeah he does he lives in Miami and uh and his and his son is extremely extremely awesome on guitar yeah. but he doesn't sound like his dad is he a but dick too such, though <laughs> no no actually he's a really good kid and uh that's how uh, you know the 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 son formed the band with my drummer you know they had a little side band and that's how he ended up getting into the Ingve Malmsteen band. And I'll say this too: when they would rehearse, Ingve would park a block away, make his son walk with all his gear a block away because Ingve didn't want to be uh, didn't want to be seen. <laughs> there, does, there's my little Ingve story. Well, how does that uh, help you not be seen? Oh, well, I don't know. He's an odd dude. And I'll say this too: I've met Ingve's Malmsteen on four separate occasions, and this is just. From hanging yeah. out, I met him at a gas station at the mall. Every single time I met the guy, he was super nice to me. He didn't. And, he didn't unleash the fucking fury. No, no. And he, and I've heard so many, um, so many uh, horror stories about all my friends that met him. And I'll tell you, one time he did a battle of bands there. There used to be a Billboard Live here, and me and my friends went, you know, because he was hosting it and doing like little guitars between bands. And uh, his manager, which was a beautiful girl. Uh, came up to us go, hey, because we were all long hair. Hey, are you here for Ingve? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you want to go upstairs uh, meet him? We went upstairs. Ingve sitting behind a bar, and he and he became our bartender that night. Right on. And I mean, he was couldn't have been nicer. So I've I have nothing but nice things to say about this guy. That's a major prick to everybody else. <laughs> I've just been lucky, you know. Did you Did you happen to catch his appearance on that metal show? I yeah, but I don't remember it. I, I, do remember I was I was impressed. It. He actually seemed like a down to earth, cool guy. Um, when he talked, he had like insight that was interesting and not about himself. And I was like, eh, yeah, I don't see what's wrong with the guy. <laughs> well, I, I I could tell you a couple stories. And my drummer told me what Ingve said on the road. He said. Hey, you heard Kurt Hammett won an award. 
uh, for guitar player for the Special Olympics. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned Jakey e. Lee earlier. That uh, there's no love lost between those two. Oh yeah, Jake. Yeah, Jake went off on Ingve, but uh, I don't. Th- I haven't heard anything Ingve said bad about Jake. Yeah, me. I guess me either. I think it was. Uh, I don't know. I th- I'll give Jake at least he can. Um, he can back it up a little bit. Uh, I, but yeah, Kirk Hammett. Uh, I don't, he gets too much shit, don't you think? I think Kurt Hammond has done some amazing guitar solos, like Creeping Death is yeah. awesome. And uh, there's just, I, I love his playing. I mean, yeah, he uses the wah so much, but so does a <laughs> lot of guitar players. Yeah. And a lot of guitar players don't get the shit he does. Yeah, it's kind of like. I don't mind Kurt Hammond. I don't mind him. I like Dave Mustaine's playing more, but I don't mind Kurt Hammond. I think Mustaine's a much better player, I would agree, but I don't think everybody has to be that, you know what I mean? Um, like, I don't have a problem with Lars Ulrich's drumming, and I don't think the criticisms of him are, are they're not that inaccurate other than when they're mean. It's like, well, he- I think I, I think Lars is technically not great, but he's very unique Yeah, at what he does. Like, if you listen to, like, For Whom the Bell Tolls, it's a little unorthodox, but it's cool. I, you know, I, I, you know, everybody likes, you know, oh, he's got to be technically proficient. Fuck that, man. To me, it's all about feel, you know? I'm with you. Even with even with Thrash, I think it makes a difference. And anybody who's followed Metallica knows that on, on, from the creative vision sense, he is a huge reason that they are where they're at, good or bad. I mean, you know, yeah. he, he's not just a drummer yeah. that sits back there and then goes home when he's done, you know? So. And, I, and I would say he's the most metal, oh, yeah, the biggest easily. metal fan of Metallica. Maybe not now anymore. But back then, the guy was like a metal encyclopedia. And he was the president of the Motorhead fan club before there was a Metallica. Sure. You know? So I, 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 I respect Lars Ulrich. Yeah, he's done some bonehead stuff. But, hey, man, when it comes to Napster, he was right. He definitely was. I even felt so at the time. And uh, But whatever. It's also because he's kind of like a, 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 I don't know, whiny little snot. He yeah, kinda, he kind of comes off like that, but uh, yeah, yeah, he does. Back to this record though. So, 1988, Ultra Mega OK comes out. Grunge is is still a few years away from kind of taking over and stuff like that. This record is very important to the evolution. Um, but let's skip ahead to when Grunge kind of did blow up. Did you did you kind of pull uh, accept it right away? Did you rebuff it initially or? Well, you know, I found it kind of odd because before the whole alternative grunge thing blew up, there was already a like REM was big. Yep. Red Hot Chili Peppers was big. There was a lot of already alternative bands that were big. But and when, all those bands benefited thing, from grunge blowing up too though. Like they became bigger. Yeah, oh yeah, big time. And another thing that a lot of people tend to uh not realize when Nevermind blew up and that was the dawn of grunge and that's it, we're taking over, there were a lot of hair bands still on the charts. Yeah, yeah. For maybe a year, for maybe a year or two more. But, you know, it wasn't like they just came and wiped them out completely. And I also I also have this philosophy that Kurt Cobain did not kill hair metal. Hair metal killed hair metal. That's what I think. I just think it became too oversaturated, everybody copying each other. And Kurt Cobain just was at the right place at the right time. I am asking everybody that question you just answered. So you don't think grunge killed hair metal? Um, Not at all. Luce and I, we actually got into that very early on the show that we did an episode. Uh, we called it the, the Greatest Year in Rock, 1991, and we broke down exactly how it didn't. But, yeah, I don't f- I'm with you 100%. To sum it up, 
they kill themselves, you know, by, by, I don't know, all these kind of weaker bands just kind of jumping on at the last second. It just got kind of oversaturated. Same thing happened to grunge as we ended up seeing, but, yes, um, yes. uh, but another thing that was kind of happening besides those alternative bands is that thrash metal was really starting to climb at that time. So you have this other group of people that are kind of like going away from Dokken and Motley Crue and getting into Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, all that Testament. Um, and, and while they're different kinds of music, one thing they have in common is more like they were more into, they presented music first over image. And even though there was an image that ended up getting associated with all these acts, it was more about like, we're not going to sing about titty bars and, and, you know, snorting coke off a stripper's ass. We're going to talk about real life things that are happening to us, to people we know, things of that nature, drug addiction, all that good stuff. But you see, at the time, though, it, uh, the it became like a split party mm-hmm. because it wasn't, it didn't oversaturate hairband didn't oversaturate just yet. Mm-hmm. So they were still thriving while the, you know, it was a split. Correct. I was, I was one that would go to a Slayer show in a Motley Crue shirt. I didn't care. You know, yeah, I, okay. I, I, I'd wear a shot at the devil shirt and I'd get shit for it, but I wouldn't care. You know, and I, I still, you know, look, when it comes to like the hairbands against thrash, it's just thrash started taking off when the hair band, when the bands like Doc and Motley Crue, they weren't being as hard as they were. Like Tooth and Nail wasn't as hard as uh, Under Lock and Key, and Shout of the Devil was harder than you know Theater Pain and so on. But I still had a, a love for the heavier sides of these these bands, you know. So I love I love Dokken and I liked uh, Slayer, you know. I, but it, it wasn't cool to be that way back then. But I, it definitely wasn't because I, I kind of you know, turned my back on all that stuff for a, a good chunk of time. Other than Kiss, believe it or not, I kept I kept the Kiss flag going. It seemed like people wouldn't give you shit for Kiss. By the way, during grunge, enough grunge bands liked them where they would just they wouldn't want to sit and dissect you know side two of Creatures of the Night with you. But you go, oh, you like Kiss? Cool. And you, that'd be enough, you know what I mean? Um, so you could wear a Kiss shirt to a party more than a docking shirt. But I think by the end of the 90s, if not by the end of like grunge's kind of last gasp, it seemed to be get to the point where we never really cared other than what we liked. We, we kind of stopped judging people. Maybe it's just because I got, I got older and my friends did, but I saw less of that where it was like, wear what you want, like what you want, we don't care. Let's go rock. Right, you know, and... Uh... Yeah, and I never did judge anybody. I mean, I knew a lot of my friends growing up that they. I judge everybody all the time still. (laughs) Good point. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't care. I just stopped. You know, obviously, I stopped hanging out with them because what do we have in common? If you're going to, you know, if I'm over here listening to, you know, Merciful Fate and you're talking about Bon Jovi, I'm kind of like, well, what are we going to talk about? We used to be, you know, connected musically, and now, you know, I had a lot of friends go that route, you know? Yeah. And oddly enough, those same people that went that route, when grunge came in and killed metal, when I'd go see Judas Priest in a little club or Dio in a little club, they were nowhere to be found. Sure. They just lost interest in everything. Yeah. Where people that stayed thrash and stuff would still co-support the old school bands during the grunge time. Well, let's get back to the Ultra Mega OK. Side two kicks off with...
called He Didn't. This one was written by Matt Cameron. Uh, the drummer wrote it, which I kind of noted because I think that's odd. Um, but two minutes and 47 seconds. What do you think of uh, He Didn't? Uh, it's almost proggy in some parts. I think it's a little too all over the place. And I, I still like it. Um, yep. It doesn't really it doesn't really lose me, though it should. Because, it, it, you know, some all these songs, there's a lot of songs that go all over the place that I kind of get lost. But I, I, for some reason or another, I can still hang with this song. And I liked it. I give this one like a, a three and a half. I gave it three. Um, it, my notes were that it, the, the alternative, they used a lot of alternate tunings in Soundgarden. And, and this kind of has that, that feel to it, which, which again, kind of weird. The drummer wrote it. so um, But well, I guess drummers are allowed to play other instruments, but it just, <laughs> whatever. It has that classic kind of Soundgarden riff harmony. The riff almost sounds like a sloppier version of Big Dumb Sex. Um, I, I really <laughs> yeah. like how the, 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 you know, they did a lot of stuff over their career where they would like kind of balls up the riff and then go and kind of do a, a muted version of the same riff for, for the verse, almost like they use the, uh, the riff as a chorus a little bit. And, and they do that here a little, and I, I dig it, but yeah, still not enough to give it more than three stars. So next up is the Howlin' Wolf cover, Smokestack Lightning. <laughs> it very stagnant it's too one-dimensional it doesn't go anywhere and uh seriously i don't like this one at all and i'd give it a one a Mm. one star i was like i thought i might get shit from you for giving it two um this is a a track that like if it's if it's in my player and i'm i'm near the skip button it's getting skipped i will tell you once again um the, the the jack and dino remix of the record does help it 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 made it more listenable today than than in the past but um 
Cornell actually talked about like he like they they covered the the Holland Wolf song, but he he claims to have not known that so many bands had actually covered this already. That seems a little too Seattle of a thing to say because this, this is a quote from back in the time when everybody was still kind of playing the part and kind of being the dickish. We're yeah, oh, we're we're above even knowing anything. You know what I mean? Um, it seems like this is the, like I don't think he was a, a guy who was like constantly listening to Holland Wolf deep tracks. So the, the fact that he picked probably the only song most people can name by him seems a little I don't know anticipated. I had no idea this was a cover. Okay. I don't know nothing about Howlin' Wolf. I, I, I'll be honest. I'm not. Uh, oh, me either. So, yeah. I, I do yeah. know that there's a couple other bands that they typically rock it up almost Southern rock kind of way when I've heard it in the past. I, I'm i drawing a blank. There's a couple versions I've heard, but uh, regardless, this is my least favorite version of it because they, they really do slow it down and kind of sludge it up, which is if they want to do fine, but it seemed like a an unnecessary add to the record. The next song, uh, it picks back up with Nazi Driver. <laughs> By the bass player Hiro Yamamoto. Uh, I love the drums on this song and yes. the grooves. The groove on this song is killer. Uh, Nazi Driver, it's a cool song. I actually dig it. Good deep track on the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I give this one a four. I gave it a four as well. And you touched on the one thing that really uh, um, clicks is that because it's got a great riff, but it, that riff is almost played on the drums too with that kind of rolling little tom thing that it just and you know matt cameron um i mean early on was you know showing that he's an elite level drummer uh i mean because the guy is no joke as a musician it's not a it's not by accident that he fell into soundgarden you know what i mean like nirvana went through how many drummers before they got to dave grohl and, and you know soundgarden hit you know pretty much had this guy from the beginning so next up is head injury Yeah. 
this is a quick hitter. Another punkier kind of track. Soundgarden had a decent back catalog by the time uh, like Bad Motorfinger hit. Uh, so th- you can definitely, this song is a great example of kind of how they evolve because it kind of shows, you hear the signs of like, I don't know where they were going, you know, in, in a lot of these tracks. And I think this is an, uh, one that sticks out like that. So, I mean, great, great, great lyric performance, or sorry, I should say great vocal performance by Cornell on this again. Um, not really my favorite track, though. I mean, uh, but <laughs> it's still got three stars for me. Uh, I, I like a little more than you. I think the song is hard driving. It's awesome. I think it's the catchiest song on here. Hmm. Uh, I absolutely love Head Injury. I, I'd give this one a four star. I think it's, you know, it's it's quick, but, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. And it doesn't, you know, it kind of makes its point in such a short little time. Um, I love Head Injury. I think it's a cool tune. One of, uh, one of my favorites on here, actually. Uh, next up is uh, Incessant Mace. closer sometimes you want to close a record with just something like lightning fast and, and booming and sometimes you want to add a little mood and atmosphere to it and that's kind of what they did here uh i gave it four stars it's it's there's kind of a lot going on a lot to take in lyrically chris cornell said this is like german emo or something like that oh <laughs> uh, it's very doomy yeah uh it's it's a very doom and it's very very long and i don't get bored uh through the whole thing i think it keeps me interested even as long as it is and the doom to it, it kind of reminds me of kind of like the later doom bands like Trouble and, and uh, you know, Sleep and stuff like that where, you know, they, they also had a penchant of having long songs. Um, but I dig it. I do d- dig the song. I think it's a great way to end it. It, it brings it to a, like a, a slow, sludgy, doomy ending to a, a very sporadic album. This Well, pretty much all... Soundgarden are pretty sporadic. It's never one 
linear uh, musical thing, but I dig it. I, and it's a little different. I mean, it does have some elements of past songs on this album, but it really sticks to one vibe sure. and, and one vibe for a very long time. And yet it keeps me interested. So that's a great sign when a long song keeps me interested. The act, the album is actually credited as any with a song called One Minute of Silence, which is literally one minute of silence. It's, it's re- well, it's not really silence. It's like what a humming noise. It's yeah, really, well, it's, it's actually re- it's like a live it's a live mic recording nothing. Um, I think you Didn't get you, John Lennon do this. I, yeah, I, that's I, what it is. They're they're spoofing that. No, I'm like oh, okay. he called it two minutes of silence on his. But uh, okay. and they credit him as a songwriter on this. Oh, they did. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and they did because Cornell said they did that because it's like ridiculous the idea that you can actually copyright silence. Uh, <laughs> so uh, and again that goes back to kind of that grunge ethos where it's just like, come on, stop taking yourself so seriously. You know, you're not that important. You know, and and songs about you know Satan. Come on, Satan and music is silly and all that stuff. And let's grow up, people. Uh, and that was very much a, a big part of the attitude of grunge, you know? I mean, the whole kind of, I don't know, double entendre being stupid and, and a waste of time, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, it's pointless. One minute of silence. <laughs> and it's not even silent. <laughs> right. <laughs> For Soundgarden, like, where where do they fit? Do you, are you uh, their whole catalog kind of guy? Um, no, I do not own the last one, Animal Kingdom, whatever it was King, called. King Animal? Yeah, I've heard some of it, and I just I never really heard the whole thing. So I maybe I should revisit it. But what I've heard, I wasn't really into. But I own everything before that, even that kind of like compilation thing, A's or something. Oh, B sides um, or yeah, I have that A sides. Yeah, yeah, what? Okay. Yeah, I have that, I, and I and I really did. Uh, I enjoyed uh, Super Unknown, and my favorite would be Bad Motor Finger. I think that album's exceptional. Yeah. And I like everything before it. You know, I, I own pretty much everything on CD. Not, I have no vinyl on Soundgarden. I plan on getting Bad Motor Finger, though I've heard bad things about the sound of that vinyl. So that's well, the only thing that stopped me from getting it. Was it originally pressed on vinyl? I mean, they were starting to fade away from that around that time. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure, but I know it's on vinyl now. Yeah, pretty much everything is now. Um I, I'm kind of with you. I, I just recently bought King Animal on CD, bought it used, and I've listened to it a couple times. You know, streamed it, and it just never clicked. And I threw the CD in, and it's the same. It just there's there's nothing great on it. You know what I mean? I, I really I have a hard time remembering the, the the tracks when I look at the song titles, that kind of thing. What about uh, grunge in general? Do you have a lot in your collection? Did, did that did, were there only like the big four for you, or did you kind of branch yeah. out and? Uh, no, I, I didn't really branch out too much. Uh, I liked, you know, Alice in Chains would be my favorite. I liked Soundgarden. I liked some of Nirvana, uh, which we'll talk about when we go into this list. Um, but um, I liked, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't consider them grunge, even though they went grunge uh, at some time. But I'm a huge fan of a band called Letters to Cleo. You ever heard of them? Yeah. I, I'm a huge, I, I even traveled to New York to see them. Eric Miller um, is a gigantic from Pods and Sods. I don't know if you know him. I assume you know him, but uh, he's been yes, at the... Yes, yes. Um, he's a huge he, Letters to Cleo fan. He, I, I've heard the episodes where he interviewed Kay Hanley. Mm-hmm. So, I am yeah, one that, song deep on them, and, and it's killer tune, but maybe I should check more of their stuff out, huh? Uh, yeah, uh, Here and Now is probably the one Here and Now, know, yes. Right? Yep, yep. Uh, I, I thought their next album was their best one, even though that one with Here and Now is really good, Agora, Alice, but... Uh, 
uh, I can't even remember the name, Meat or something. That's like my favorite one. But they released an EP not too long ago, going back to Nebraska. That was really good. I like the album Go. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I, and they are very alternative. And some of their songs can get grungy at times. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, but I never really got into like the Scream of Trees and Mud Honey and stuff like that. But, you know, and even Pearl Jam, I mean, they're, they're, I like some of their songs, but I'm not like a big fan of theirs either. Though I did see Pearl Jam live, and man, contrary to what a lot of people say about Pearl Jam, that is not a shoegazing band. Uh, Eddie Vedder is very animated on stage. Cool. And um, uh, they're very entertaining on stage. But yeah, I never really uh, dwelled too much into their music, though there are songs I do like from them. Uh, when they hit, for me, it is it is a 10. And when they don't, it's just kind of blasé. Um, the first two records are must-haves for me. Um, after that, not much. I, something that I wanted to start asking people, have you watched any grunge porn? <laughs> grunge porn? Never okay. even heard of it. And I, and I watch a lot of porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, from my limited research, it's basically just women in Nirvana t-shirts masturbating, but... Uh, <laughs> no, it's, no uh, I, like, I like penetration videos. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how come I didn't get a yeah uh, a Whatever do you say there? Uh, Schmackamagab. Schmackamagab. Yeah, well, we had to get one in here. My final thoughts on this record would be: I think it's actually one of the better sequenced records of almost any grunge album. Uh, I, I one thing we got into in the last episode is. Uh, that I, I think the, with grunge and alternative bands, a lot of them really didn't f- sequence their albums that great. Like they, they kind of be they're a gr- if they're a great album, they're great for three quarters of the way, and then you you start to get to where it's like, what's going on here? These songs should have been slid around a little bit to keep my attention going. But good point. Uh, also, if anybody out there listening d- didn't really care for this record, I strongly encourage listening to the 2017 reissue that Jack and Dino remixed it. I want to make sure. I'm saying his name right. It made a huge difference. And I like the record, but to me, listening to it today, I enjoyed it more than I ever did. Before I ask your rating, I'll tell you this. Uh, out of the 25, I had it much higher, but still, it was only 15 for me out of all the records on this list. Where did you rank this out of the 25? It made number eight. Okay, so you had it pretty high. Yeah. Any final thoughts on, on what we talked about today or any update on what you got going on? Anything you want to promote, Dr. Fuck? Well, yeah, I got my podcast, The Vieira Vault. I'm also part of this, uh, the Rat Salad Review Network where they air my podcast. And plus I do a podcast with them, which I'm doing now, actually, actually when I'm done here. Cool. It's called This Podcast Be- uh, Belongs to Them. And uh, I got my radio show on Thursday nights on uh, – that metal station 8 p.m eastern time and uh what else do i got going on i got my bands uh well thrasher die and uh, hopefully combat will get back together and uh nutritional yeast infection which should be coming out sometime <laughs> soon and what else do i got going on? i think i believe that that will be it for now or if there is other stuff it's not as important um, well, I don't know if it's possible, but I have an idea. Maybe you and I can start an internet band. We can be a duo. And what do you think of this name? Nocturnal Mission. <laughs> uh, let me, let, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to let that sink in for a little bit. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I forgot to mention my most popular thing is uh, Almost Human on YouTube. That oh, right. is, uh, yeah, closing in on 16,000 subscribers and 9 Jesus million views. Jesus fucking Christ, man. Nine million views, yes. 
That is amazing. Uh, to yeah, tell people what they can find there. I, I mean, I, I've watched a couple of those videos. They're pretty good. Uh, you get like I do a lot of reviews on records. I also uh, do news, and um, you know, I talk about I talk pretty much music. That's pretty much all it. And I do a track by track thing, which uh, I get two albums that have the same amount of tracks, and I. I pair, I go, I have each track go to war with each other. Like, right. you know, track one versus track one. Uh, that's become extremely popular. Yeah, that's a uh, fun idea. Are, I like it. People are actually paying me, uh, sending me money to do, hey, do these two albums. And yeah. I have like a list from hell from all the donations I've made, uh, from all the money I've made that I still, I, I'm not, I have like, 20 more to do <laughs> and uh yeah that's a fun thing i do uh all the time i also do um uh, my favorite albums of a certain year which usually bleed into like two three episodes because i have i don't know if you can see it on the thing i have a big big collection yeah. of records and are those see- ikea shelves yes they are yeah i They're have uh my- we have those two i have nowhere near the amount of records you do i think i have just under 400 of uh, uh vinyl albums that's still impressive i i think i got 1200 now but 400 is nothing to sneeze at you know oh that's sure no i mean i i have I'm about 1200 cds but uh what about you still have cds correct or i have about 3000 okay <laughs> uh, i i still get i still buy cd i will I, 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 a band I love to plug is a band called Crip Sermon that, you know, their, their albums are very hard to find now. They're a brand new band, but their albums sold real Say quick. Say that name again? They're Crypt Sermon. Okay. And uh, they're really cool. They're kind of doomy, but they're heavy and great, clean vocals. And I just bought their CDs because I couldn't get their vinyls. There's a lot of stuff you still can't get on vinyl. Do you buy a lot of the new vinyl? Yeah. Uh, a, a lot, yeah. There's a lot of. Uh, well, you mean like newer bands? Well, no, like even reissues. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, they're it's kind of I, expensive. But to tell you the truth, uh, a lot of these original pressings cost even more. Yeah. And you can get it like a new 180 gram version that sounds better than the original pressing mm-hmm. for cheaper. But you know, because it's got the original press thing. Yeah. I'm not really an original press guy. I mean, I like having them. Yeah. It's cool to have them, but. I I prefer something that sounds the best than if it's the original or not, you know. Yeah, it, but yeah, yeah, I buy a lot of reissues. Oh, many. Well, Doctor Fuck, thankfully we finally had you on the show. I really appreciate your time, man. And I really appreciate you having me on, man. I'm a big fan of Cobras and Fire, and it was a pleasure hanging out with you, man, in Nashville last year. We had a lot of fun. Oh, right on, of course. In that, especially in that Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. No. Uh, and I want to thank you, dude. Thank you so much. And I will have you on my show once I think of uh, something we can do. Yeah, absolutely. You know how to get a hold of me. And um, yeah, you know what? You've always been you. You, you know, of course, I met you. Got you and Ian together. But you got you have been very kind and gracious to to both me and Lewis over the years. We appreciate that. Um, always been right cool on. guys, easy to get along with. I, I really do dig dig what you do. And um, I don't know. I appreciate you, you helping me out here. So thank you, man. Anytime you need me, man, I'll, I'll, I'm here. Well, thanks again for coming on, Dr. Fuck, but we gotta get out of here. Whatever, man. Alright, what? Never mind.
smack him a gob. I'm ready where you are, bro. All right, well, I guess I'm ready. I uh, might as well introduce you. Um, you're formerly of the Rock and Metal Combast. I, com- I can't say. Formerly. I know. It's a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah, I'll get it. <laughs> uh, all right, well, this week's special guest is uh, this, this week's special guest host. Smack him a gob. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 